right, well, we are in 2 Corinthians. We're about halfway through chapter 5. And if you remember last week, Paul took us up into the throne room. He, he brought us in front of our Lord, looking face to face. Remember in 2 Corinthians 5, 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He took us from Corinth, where we have this background where these super apostles, self-named, were coming in behind him and saying that Paul was a good start, but he wasn't a real good apostle, a real great disciple, should be somebody else, should be them. And Paul began to make a defense of his apostleship, that he was called by God. And over the last few chapters, he's been pointing out um, his self-sacrificial service. But then in chapter 5 and previously, he took us up to the reason why the gospel, that he will be before the Lord, that we all will stand before the Lord face to face. And the Lord has done that through what is called reconciliation. It's a fancy word to mean to restore that which was. And we're going to talk about that this morning. First, we're going to ask that the Lord leads us through his spirit in the reading of his word and prayer. And then we're going to read verses 12 and 13 together. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for the work that you have done, are doing, and will continue to do in us. And we pray that you would have your word written on the tablets of our heart this morning. We know that your word, it reveals the thoughts and the intentions of our heart, that it rebukes and instructs us in ways of righteousness, Lord. And we pray that we would be growing in your word this morning as you apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Paul takes us from the throne room and now... Verses 12 and 13, For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an, uh, an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For we are besides ourselves. Excuse me, verse 13. For if we are besides ourselves, it is for God, or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. And so we don't usually talk this way, and we don't really... In our normal speech, it's kind of hard to figure out what he's trying to say here. But notice, he's going from the kingdom, from the throne room, from being with the Lord, back to the original problem in verse 12. For he says that there are those who boast in appearance. So these other so-called leaders that were coming behind him, they were looking at, remember, all of their diplomas, all of their letters of commendation. They were looking at their salaries. They were very good orators, and they would say, well, you know, we're worth a lot more. We get paid a lot because we're professionals, and, and Paul is not. And Paul is saying to you, we don't commend ourselves. We don't have to look to ourselves, and we don't have to boast, and, we, and we're going to give you an answer to those who are boasting only in appearance. And then he says in verse 13, for, we are beside, for if we are beside ourselves. What does that even mean? Well, in the Greek here, it's the word for out of your mind. If your mind is out of your body, you're besides yourself. So what Paul is saying here is if you, think, if you think we're crazy, if you think we're nuts, that's fine. It's for God's glory. We don't care. You see, Paul is not spending the time to defend his reputation. He's not spending the time there to increase his popularity. He wants to bring people to the throne room. He wants to reconcile people to God. He wants that which was to be brought back, and that is a relationship with God. But then he says, if you think we're of sound mind, in verse 13, it is for you. So nothing's for himself. The other apostles, the super apostles, we should say, they're not real apostles. 
these so-called teachers. They didn't, they were only in it for themselves. And Paul's going to show them that. He's going to teach them that. But we need to realize that when we are reconciling people, one to ourselves and relationships, or a relationship with God, it is God who does the reconciliation. Now, reconciliation, that is a fancy word. We don't use it very often. Some of you, though, you might be accountants, you might be in bookkeeping, you know about reconciling the account. That means you've sealed it. It's set. You've done every transaction. You've, here comes Kevin now, the accountant. We're just saying reconciliation is going to make him want to walk out of here right this second. When you reconcile your books, it is set. And then you got a guy like me in the business who'll come to the accountant and be like, hey, I need to change some transactions from three months ago. And then they want to throw the book at you because they've already restored it. They've already set it up. It is set. So when you open those books back up to make a transition, they have to re-reconcile it again. Well, some of us, we need to have reconciliation with one another. It means we had a friendship or we were close, but something happened and we need to bring it back. But Paul's going to teach us in this chapter that that reconciliation started with God. It started with God because we used to have a perfect relationship with God. Back in the Garden of Eden, Adam was walking with God in the coolness of the day. There was great fellowship and restoration, or excuse me, there was great fellowship and relationship until sin. Sin separated and there was the fall. And ever since then, We have needed this reconciliation. Well, since the worlds began, the Lord was the lamb slain from the foundations of the world. The Lord always knew he was going to reconcile us, set it back, bring it back to that relationship through his son. And that should be our goal. It's not just for us. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse 10, for if we were enemies... For when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son much more. Having been reconciled, we shall be saved from his life. You see, when you or I think about reconciliation, we think about the other person figuring out that we're right and they're wrong. We're thinking that they'll finally understand our motives and our intentions. If they just knew what I went through for them, they will finally see that I'm right. But notice when God reconciles, he's not interested in that when we were enemies with him, when we were blasphemers against him, when we were against him, he died for us. He turned the cheek. He humbled himself to reconcile us. But in our flesh, we want everybody else to figure out that we're the right ones. We deserve it. Don't they know who we are? You see, that's how the super apostles thought, that they were on a better level, but it was only about appearance. Paul says he doesn't need reconciliation for them to understand. He doesn't care if they think he's right or wrong. They don't think, they don't, he doesn't care. I try this in English now. He doesn't care if they think he's crazy or they think he's smart. That's not the point. He's not defending himself. The goal is, from the rest of this chapter, that they're right before God and reconciled to God. And Jesus did that work. God's grace This example of reconciling all of humanity is our example. And we're going to see that here in this chapter. That God's grace is our example in how we're to have relationships with one another and how we're to have relationships with God. That's the theme this morning. Reconciliation, reconciliation. That which was lost to be restored. 
Now, Jesus said that if we are to be a follower of him, if we're a disciple of him, that we're to be known by our love. In John 13, 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. We're also going to spend some time this morning talking about what is real love and then what is the love of the 21st century, how do they define it, because it's not the same. You see, Paul was willing to lose his, his reputation, to not make any money. We know from the previous chapters to give his body, to be beaten, to be destroyed. He didn't care about any of those things, and he definitely didn't care about appearances. All he cared about was being Christ-centered, not self-centered. Again, just repeating, when we think about reconciliation, when we think about relationships, when we think about our relationship with God, Are you being self-centered? Is your relationship based with God, is it based on what He can do for you? How He's blessing you? You want Him to change all the outward appearances in your life, or are you looking for the authenticity to turn the other cheek, to endure? Christ-centered, not self-centered. And so Paul's going to continue with that in verses 14 through 15. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. That if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, these are super powerful. He starts off in verse 14, for the love of God compels us. Does it really? Is that your motivation? When we talk about that word compel, what does that mean? To encourage, to force, to lead. You know, my kids, they get up in the morning. They don't make the bed on their own. I got to compel them to make the bed. I'm going to push them. I'm going to force them to make their bed sometimes. My wife's laughing. She's like, no, you don't. But that's what that word compels means. When you wake up in the morning, does what motivates you, is it the love of God? Is it the love? It says here in verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. But what does that even mean? It says here later on, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves. Are you no longer living for yourself? You see, I find that that's not the case. I I see that we are worried about the outward appearance. We're worried about how everyone thinks about us. How is our reputation? We're worried about uh, our relationships. Do Do they like me? Do they not like me? Do they talk to me? Do they not talk to me? Our relationship with God, Lord, you know, why didn't you, you didn't come through for me again, Lord? You didn't answer my prayer. You didn't talk to me the way I wanted you to talk to me, Lord. Pastor can't even speak English. When are you going to spend somebody that can talk? And it all becomes about us, but it's supposed to be the love of Christ that compels us. So it's no longer, we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for others. You see, we're not focused on puffing ourselves up. We're focused on reconciling people to Jesus Christ. Because remember this chapter in its context. We are going to be with the Father. We're going to look at Jesus Christ face to face in His kingdom for all eternity. And all those things that we think matter, they don't matter. They're not important. But we talked again about the love of Christ. And unfortunately, that word love is just destroyed in America. In 21st century America, it doesn't mean... People say that word and they don't even understand what they're saying. 
When you're talking about agape love, that self-sacrificial, other-centered love, it's purely defined in 1 Corinthians 13. If you remember way back when we were in 1 Corinthians 13, I'll, I'll share just a, a few verses, verses 4 through 7. It says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. I think I'm in trouble on that one. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know, when we talk about the 21st century, they think that the word love means no matter what, you're happy. No matter what, you have good feelings. No matter what you do, it's okay. The Lord's just going to forgive you. It doesn't matter. That's not real love. Could you raise your children that way? Some may try. But you have to have discipline and correction. True love will judge for the benefit of the person because it's other-centered, not self-centered. When we're talking about a feeling, emotion-based love, that is not agape. That is not even the definition of love. In fact, we did this exercise in 1 Corinthians 13, back when we did that study. I want you to do it again today. We're going to go back to chapter 13, and we're going to take the word love, and we're going to make that word Jesus, and you'll see it works perfectly. You see, it says, Jesus suffers long and is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. Jesus is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely. He does not seek his own. He's not provoked. He thinks no evil. He does not rejoice in iniquity. He rejoices in truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. <clears throat> As a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are to be known by our love for one another. Not the ooey-gooey feelings. No, the self-sacrificing, other-centered, not me, but Christ. The love of Christ is to compel us so that it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's what Paul who says that those in verse 15 who live should no longer for themselves, but for him, for Jesus, who died and rose again. You see, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Now, we're not talking about romance and feelings. Now, I'm notorious for using really uh, manly analogies and, you know, guy stuff, because I'm a man. I know my gender, okay? I know this a thing these days. So I'm going to use one for the ladies this time. You know, let's say that you had a relationship. Let's say you found a guy, he was everything you wanted. He was handsome. He was charming. He was in touch with his emotions. He was super nice. He always understood how you felt and was able to communicate. He's everything you ever wanted. Except you didn't know that he's with a lot of other ladies at the same time. Or you can have a guy who's maybe not so good looking, can't speak English, doesn't know your feelings, not very emotional, but gets up every morning and sacrifices for you, works for you, provides for you, which one would you want? Which one would you want in your life? 
And yet, as Paul is saying, there are so many that are looking for the outward appearances. They're looking for all the emotions and the stuff and the show, but it's dead inside. It's not real. But the other guy, the guy that's genuine, that's true, that's honest, it's the reality. You see, in our relationship with Christ, so many times we're looking for the outward appearances. We're chasing a feeling, an emotion. And there's not real reconciliation as we live for ourselves. What does everyone else think about me? How are they treating me? Why don't they understand me? If they knew what I did for them, they would treat me better. But true reconciliation doesn't mean that the person that's apart from you, aside from you, is repenting and bowing down before you. To be a Christian who is compelled by the love of Christ is to live like Christ, is to turn the other cheek, to deny yourself, to humble yourself, to not puff yourself up all the definitions that we saw in 1 Corinthians. You see, real love, enabled to sacrifice for others, it takes discipline. To not be puffed up, it takes humility. To suffer long takes strength. To be kind takes understanding. And if the love of Christ is to compel you, to motivate you, to wake you up in the morning, to get up and follow after him. You need to live like Christ. Now, the Lord is not weak, is he? Love is not weakness. You guys remember when Paul, when Paul, when Jesus was before Pontius Pilate. You remember what Pilate said to him? Don't you know I have the power of life and death over you? Jesus, complete control. Do you not know that you have no power that my Father in heaven has not given you? And then what else did he say? I have the power to call down legions of angels. But he didn't. Because of his love, he was willing to be beaten, to be scourged, to have the crown of thorns, to carry the cross. He was willing to submit to Pilate. All those things meant that he was sacrificing himself, his reputation, his work. Why? to reconcile his enemies, people like me that blasphemed his name, that cursed his name, that turned on him. While I was doing all those things, he sacrificed himself for me. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, you guys are looking for all these outward appearances of these apostles, but there's nothing there. It's not real. They don't care about you, and they don't bring you closer to Jesus. Maybe I should stop touching this thing. But those that are followers of Christ, who are disciples, are compelled by the love of Christ to live like Christ, to reconcile people to God. And it's not a matter of feelings or emotions. It's about following our Savior, being like Him. And then now we have some of the most powerful verses of Scripture in verses 16 to 19. Therefore, because of these things, from now on, We regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. 
wow, I mean, to me, this is like that first time you see that beautiful South Carolina sunset, you know, the pinks, the reds, and you're it's at the marsh when it's high tide, everything's green and blue, and you look at that and you're just like, wow, that is so beautiful. Same thing here, I'm, wow. Wow, all things are new. He has reconciled all things to himself. How did he reconcile them? By sacrificing himself. When all of his followers, all of his disciples, all of his people, all of his tribe rejected him and walked away from him and turned his back from him, and he was all by himself, he sacrificed himself for others. That's how we reconcile. That's true love. Instead, we're motivated by the outward appearances. We're motivated in our relationship by God. What can you do for me, Lord? And if it's the love of God that's to compel us, we should have a completely new mindset. And here's the beautiful thing. The Lord makes you completely new to do it. He makes you a new person. You can cast off the old flesh. You can cast off those works. You can pick up the cross daily. You can follow after him. All things are made new because he reconciled all things. He brought us back to the garden where we can walk with the Lord in the coolness of the day, have a relationship with him in spite of all of the dumb things we've done. And my list is long. Just ask my wife. She knows. And yet all things are made new. The Bible tells us here that not only did Jesus reconcile us to him, he reconciled the whole world. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. In verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them. In first, excuse me, Colossians chapter 1 it says this about Jesus, and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things are on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Jesus made peace and reconciled us to God. I, I, don't, I cannot express the gravity of this, that when Jesus is sitting there blindfolded, and the temple guards are beating him in the face saying, prophesy who it was that hit you. Not only did the Lord know who hit him, he knew every single descendant from that person for two millennium that accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior because he was willing to yield, to love his enemies. That is strength. That is power. That is love. And he said nothing. That means when he carried the cross to Calvary, he held every single atom together. Jesus is not a victim. He wasn't mugged in some alley. He wasn't taken advantage of. He was in full control the whole time, knowing that he was reconciling you and me and all of the world. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is reconciliation. And it says here that every person... Now on, we don't regard anyone according to the flesh back in verse 16. It doesn't matter. You're healthy, you're sick, you're smart, you're slow, you're strong, you're weak, you're a foreigner, you're family, you're a native. And he's working in us so that we can reconcile with each other. That is the evidence 
of Christ in us that we're able to reconcile and build back relationships that we had, whether they're in business or family or marriages. We're able to sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of others, not having others yield and figure out, oh, no, I'm the right one, they're the wrong one. Once they finally figure it out, we can be reconciled. Not if you call yourself a disciple. Remember, Jesus says we're to be known by our love for one another, not our, not our feelings, not how happy we are, not how content we are, but furthering the gospel so that man can be reconciled to God and that man can be reconciled to each other through God. That is what Paul calls here, verse 18, the ministry of reconciliation, the service of reconciliation. Does the love of God compel you? Is the love of God compelling you, pushing you, encouraging you? And there's encouragement to us in Colossians chapter 3, speaking about the new man, thinking about what we're to do in verses 8 through 11 of Colossians 3. It says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these, like cast them off, like take your clothes off, take off anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man and his deeds and have put on the new man. What new man? Who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. That's Christ's image. There is, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. We take off the old man, we take off those old works, and we put on Jesus Christ and his righteousness. It's an action. We do it by faith. He has imputed, he's given us this self-sacrificial agape love because he is love. Remember, God is love. We put his name into 1 Corinthians. We saw that he is our exemplar. He's our, our captain. He's the one that we follow. We're to be like him and we need to put him on. And we need to make sure we have biblical definitions of what it means. Remember, ladies, you can get the super stud, but he doesn't love you. Or you can have the reality and stop worrying about the appearances. Have authenticity of someone that's really self-sacrificing every day. We cannot chase the emotions. We just can't chase the feeling. We cannot be looking to ourselves as the barometer, as the measuring stick of who was right and who was wrong. Was I right or was I wronged? Other people need to know my intentions and my thoughts. No. If you are a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ, it's others first. Why? Why? What is the point of all this? Where are we going? Well, he's going to tell us now in verses 20 and 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Ambassadors. We are his ambassadors. Because we just saw in this chapter, this is not our home. We're not from here. We live here, we're to work here, we're to occupy until his return, 
but we are going to live in heaven for all of eternity with Jesus Christ. We're going to return with him, and there'll be a millennial kingdom on this planet. See, an ambassador loves and cares for the nation that it's been assigned to, but it's not their home nation. I love the United States of America. I love South Carolina. I love this community. I love being here. But I, I am an ambassador here. And my home country, the kingdom of heaven, it takes priority. And sometimes what's being done here doesn't align itself with my home country. And I may have to give a diplomatic objection. I may have to say, no, this is not right. You should not do this. We cannot do this. This nation, as much as I love it, we need to go in a different direction because it doesn't line up with the kingdom of heaven. That's my home country. I'm an ambassador for Christ. I'm not an ambassador for myself. I'm not here to represent myself. An ambassador doesn't go to another country to go make a billion dollars and to be the most popular person in that country. They go there to represent their nation and represent them well. And what are we told to do here in this scripture? It says that God is pleading through us. The love of Christ should be compelling us to plead the gospel to this world, being the ambassadors we are. That's the purpose, the point of reconciliation. This ministry of reconciliation that Paul spoke about in the previous verses. Of course, that ambassador has both countries' interests at heart. He cares about both. And they're not a good ambassador if they don't care about the people they're serving. But it's not the priority. I get my instructions from heaven by the authority of Scripture, and so do you. And God is pleading through the whole world. And shame on us if we call ourselves disciples of Christ and we can't even reconcile a relationship within the family of God because of our own self-interests. Shame on us if we're not bringing the gospel to the world because we're so self-seeking and so worried about our own thoughts and feelings and emotions that we're not being like Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for many who loved his enemies. We're to go to the whole world and preach the gospel. Remember, the context is that the Corinthians were being swooned by these super apostles, and Paul says that they're only interested in appearances. We need to go back to the reality. Paul gained nothing except trials, tribulations, persecutions. They, they insulted him. Every, he had total justification. And what does he say? It's no longer I, but Christ who lives in me. And he picks up the cross daily and follows after him. He doesn't care about his reputation. He cares about reconciling them to God. And that should be our prayer this morning as well. Let's go before the Lord. Lord, we thank you. And we just want to be reconciled to you and to each other. Give us right actions, Lord. Give us right understanding. Help us to put on Christ and to cast off the works of our flesh. Help us to set the priorities straight, Lord. To have your word working in us, we want to walk with you in the coolness of the day, and we know you've made a way to do that. And so we pray that you administer to us and lead us and that you would use us to plead to the whole world to preach this ministry of reconciliation. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you didn't get your prayer, come on up. We'd love to pray with you. If you're not a believer, we could fix that right now. Come on up. God bless you and have a wonderful week.